Well, hi everyone. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. Happy Friday and welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. I'm Lisa Stearns and I'm here with Tim Cross, our Senior Vice President. We'll be updating you today on the latest information regarding COVID-19 cases within the University and the Institute. And we'll be sharing an update on other news within the Institute. So a few reminders, we all know the drill. Um, be sure to keep your audio muted so everyone can hear what others are saying. Use the chat function on Zoom to ask any questions. You can publicly post those or you can send them privately to me. Of course, a recording is always made of this session and will be posted on our UTIA coronavirus website. You can find that link on our homepage at utia.tennessee.edu. So Tim, the case count does appear to be decreasing rather rapidly within the university. So what does the situation look like as far as cases and how are those being handled? Thank you, Lisa, for uh, getting us started once again. Uh, before I jump into some data, you know, I was sitting here uh, as we got started this afternoon and obviously we've done a number of these fireside chats. Some of you have been involved in doing field days uh, around the state, and you'll know that one of our uh, traditions is often to do a dry run of, of our uh, uh, presentations, and then uh, throughout the course of a day, we may give those presentations eight or 10 times. Uh, in the old days, out in Milan, Tennessee, at the Milan uh, Ag Research and Education Center, uh, it wasn't uncommon about halfway through a day for presenters to swap uh, programs and for the uh, ag economist to make the soils presentation and the soils presentation uh, presenter to, to uh, handle the ag econ material. So I'm thinking, Lisa, maybe one of these days I'm going to be the moderator and we're going to let you uh, be the, uh, the presenter and, and we'll change things up a little bit just to keep everyone on their toes. Uh, meantime, let me jump into uh, this week's uh, data for everyone and, and it's great to see you once again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, looking at, uh, at the data as of uh, a few hours ago here at the university, including both the Institute of Agriculture and UT Knoxville uh, in total, uh, we currently have 12 active positive cases among all uh, employees, faculty and staff, and currently down to 114 positive cases among students. So a huge decrease uh, in, in the number of student cases really just about the same number of, of employee cases overall. So no, no big changes there, but the big difference is a, a, a rapid uh, and large decrease in the number of student cases. And if you think about it, uh, school really got started up in a big way uh, about three weeks ago. And obviously over the course of that first three or four weeks, we've seen uh, you know, a spike in, in numbers and now we're seeing uh, numbers come down uh, very, very significantly. In terms of self-isolations uh, across uh, the whole campus and across the state, we currently have uh, 66 employees total uh, in self-isolation and 594 students in self-isolation. Sounds like a big number still for students, but uh, think about the fact that uh, last week and the week before, we were looking at more like 1,500 to 2,000 students in self-isolation. So again, uh, uh, a very uh, large decrease there and, and uh, looks to be very positive news. You know, I've, I've been watching uh, and certainly interacting some with the cabinet. There's, there's some talk that maybe uh, folks are being a little more strategic in their behavior. 
uh, not uh, reporting when they've tested positive uh, in order to avoid self-isolation uh, or in order to avoid uh, any kind of uh, requirements uh, amongst uh, positive cases. There may be some of that, but you know, I, I have to believe uh, not all of our students are going to behave in that manner and, and our employees, we certainly don't expect to behave that way. So I, I really do believe uh, we're seeing some uh, large decreases then in active cases and with the number of individuals who are in self-isolation as well. Here at the Institute of Agriculture, uh, we currently have four active positive cases among uh, UTIA employees, both faculty and staff. And we have a total of 10 employees in self-isolation. Uh, and those are individuals who have either uh, become symptomatic or, or who, who have had uh, direct contact with someone uh, who has been diagnosed as positive. So again, very small numbers, uh, virtually the same numbers that we've had for the past six weeks. So uh, that's an indication to me that you all are doing a great job, uh, that we're uh, going about our, our business in a very uh, safe and healthy way, that, that we're doing the things we need to do. And that's why those numbers have been low and stayed low. And, uh, and I've got a lot of confidence, thanks to your, your hard work and your dedication, uh, we'll keep those numbers low. Looking just uh, briefly at the national picture, uh, it's, it's probably not um, as good as what any of us would like to see. The seven day average number of new cases is still about 40,000 cases per day. We got down to about 35,000 cases per day a couple of weeks ago, but it's come back up since then. Uh, so we're, we're still, uh, you know, not where we wanna be obviously, uh, but uh, at least we're not seeing uh, huge uh, spikes and rapid increases either. Across Tennessee uh, as a whole, our average is still uh, uh, calculates out at about 1,400 new cases per day. Uh, right in line with what I've been saying the last two or three weeks, anywhere from 1,200 to 1,400 cases per day. But if you look at just the last few days, uh, maybe there's some, some uh, positive news there. Uh, in three of the last four days, we've actually had less than 1,000 cases uh, reported. So if, uh, if you know, three of the last four days holds and, and continues uh, moving forward, we'll see some decreases uh, overall in Tennessee as well. And I really feel like uh, we've done our part in demonstrating uh, what can be done to manage uh, the number of cases that, that we have to deal with to, to reduce the spread of, uh, of the virus. And it's thanks to, to your good work, I think, that both uh, the university and the state overall is, uh, in a, is as good a shape as it is. So uh, that, that's my take on, uh, on our data for this week, Lisa. Well, it does sound pretty positive. Um, now to be negative, uh, the flu season is just about upon us. And we have been having some questions um, about the flu vaccine. So any news that you can share with us on that? Yeah, great. And that's good timing, too. Uh, you know, I know, I know we've had questions about the flu vaccine uh, at, at several of our chats, and I, I get asked questions by others uh, as I go about my work. Uh, but just today, we, we do finally have some uh, specific guidance about getting flu shots this fall. And I think to, uh, to give you a different face and a different voice uh, to to share information, I'd like to call on our uh, human resources officer, uh, Mr. Doug Bonner, if you would, to share with us the plans 
uh, that we're going to be following across the entire UT system uh, for flu vaccinations. So, Doug, would you like to share with us uh, what, what was just announced today? Sure thing, Dr. Cross, and thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. So, um, I guess to start, I just want to remind everyone that, uh, as Dr. Cross has shared on previous fireside chats, the decision has been made really across the entire UT system that all faculty and staff will be required to receive a flu vaccination this year. I don't think that's new news to anyone. And the rationale behind that, again, for those of you that haven't already heard it, is to reduce the risk of contracting the flu in combination with COVID-19, but also to reduce the possibility of flu-like symptoms either being mistaken for or masking COVID-19. If someone does have COVID-19, we wanna make sure that that is easily identifiable and they can receive the treatment that they need. Um, the other question that we've received early on was um, around any exemptions uh, that, that may be available for people as it relates to the flu shot. So I wanna remind everyone again that the exemptions are going to be permitted for anyone with a medical or a faith-based reason for not choosing to, to receive a flu vaccine this year. So um, now the new news um, is that over the, the course of the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at what are our options to, to track individual employee compliance to make sure that people are following through and getting the flu shot. And we've been working on a solution that's based in IRIS uh, and employee self-service, and that functionality has gone live now. And many of you, uh, if you've been in your email today, have probably already received an email about that, but I wanna talk it through just real quickly and um, share the, the process and, and make sure everyone recognizes how simple it is. So the really all employees are gonna need to do is log into IRIS web portal um, like you normally would, uh, select the employee self-service icon. Uh, from there, you're gonna choose employee information and then the vaccine verification form. And I know when I say that out loud, it seems like a lot of steps, but um, it really is quite simple. I've logged in myself to get there and it's a, um, a fairly intuitive process once you're in the system. Um, there are two options available for all of our employees to choose from. One is that they acknowledge that they've received a flu shot and that is followed by a prompt to enter the date on which the, the shot occurred. And the other is a choice to opt out entirely from vaccines. Neither one of these options is going to require any additional information or any additional documentation. Um, once you choose your option, you click submit and that's all there is to the process. Um, for those of you that do want to uh, get some training on how to do this, there's a couple of options available. You can log into Kate. Um, there's a job aid that's available in there. Uh, it'll take you about a minute and a half to read through the whole thing and you'll get about half an hour of training credit. Um, so you may want to explore that option. Um, but like I said, if you log into employee self-service, it's a relatively intuitive process. And of course, if you have any questions at all, you're always welcome to call me or the HR partner for your unit. Um, we'll be happy to assist you in any way we can. But like I said, the, the most important thing is uh, for people to remember, it's a relatively simple process. It'll only take a couple of minutes to do it. Whether you receive a shot or you choose to opt out, it is important that all of our employees go into the system one way or the other and choose one of those two options this year. Doug, we already have a question related to that. So I'm gonna go ahead and ask you. Sure. Uh, the question is, how will an employee without a computer or someone who uh, 
uses one at work and does not have access at this point, um, or smartphone access, access this IRIS self-service form. What I'm going to recommend at this point is that they work with their leader to um, share that information with their leader and then make sure that is reported to their human resources partner. And then we'll partner with the IRIS team to make sure that information gets uploaded. Very good. And another question related to this, um, this person says that their doctor recommended that they wait to get the flu shot until at least mid-October. So what is the time frame that we have to report um, or receive the shot? There is not a deadline for when the attestations occur in the system. Uh, I think, you know, I, I'm not a medical doctor and I'm certainly not going to override the advice that a, a person's or a personal physician shares with them. Um, I think, and I believe Dr. Cross has said this on a number of the fireside chats as well, there could very well be some logic to waiting until sometime in October um, because then that extends the period of time that the, the vaccine may cover you into the, the cooler months as we get into, you know, the new year. Um, so I would say whenever that occurs or whenever that person does receive the shot, at that point, they just need to go into the system uh, and, and do the attestation. Okay, great. Thank you, Doug. Sure thing. Um, so Tim, we talked last week about progress related to our new facilities on campus. However, we're doing a lot more work online these days. So um, what can you share about our UTIA online presence? That's a good question, Lisa. You know, it occurred to me after, uh, after our discussion last week that we talked, you know, quite a little bit about facilities and buildings and a new, uh, new surge building, the new science building coming online. And yet most of us are working remotely and, and we're using online tools to do that. And, and even our institute presence is largely uh, online now. So uh, I do think uh, taking a moment just to uh, uh, get an update on where we're at with regard to our online presence is, is uh, in these times as important or maybe even more important than some of our uh, physical facilities changes. We've been, uh, I think, as everyone knows, uh, switching from our uh, SharePoint uh, website platform to a WordPress uh, platform. And it's been uh, really moving forward based on incredibly hard work uh, from our IT staff, uh, working with our marketing communication staff. And I think, again, to get another face uh, and another voice with the group today, I'd like to ask uh, Angela Gibson to uh, Give us an update on how that WordPress project is coming along. And Lisa, you're, you and your team are part of this too, so you chime in as well. Angela? Thank you, Dr. Cross. Um, so we started working on the WordPress project a few years ago uh, because like you mentioned, we needed to replace our SharePoint externally facing websites. Uh, we chose WordPress because it was easy to use, it was visually appealing, and it allowed us to create consistent templates, um, consistent template design for our UTIA branding. Many people may not be aware that the Institute has over 300 websites in our inventory. Uh, over the past several months, um, ITS and Marketing Communications, we have uh, launched 45 sites. Our um, big launch was on uh, March 5th, and um, it included our Institute site, our Institute News, uh, top-level extension, top-level Herbert College, and Ag Research, and that was a really heavy lift. Um, and it, we, 
we had um, a lot of help from a lot of people, not just ITS staff and marketing communication staff, but content owners and managers, as well as our Institute um, Web Advisory Committee. So um, just one small note, uh, when we switched, when we, um, when we released our new website uh, for the Institute, our, um, web, our web address changed from ag.tennessee.edu to utia.tennessee.edu. So just in case you haven't bookmarked that, go to the utia.tennessee.edu, uh, sorry. Um, so uh, since our initial launch date, we've launched 39 more sites and we have many more to go. Like I said, we have over 300 in our inventory. Uh, for October to December of this year, we are going to, we plan to watch launch 50 more sites and a more majority of those will be extension county sites. We've been working with the extension IT trainers uh, to assist them in training county staff. And as always, the extension IT trainers, they're doing a great job and uh, a, lot of a lot of training, a lot of communications and um, back and forth with us, as well as a lot of scheduling with the uh, county staff. And so for 2021 and 2022, we'll still have 200 sites to move to WordPress. And we expect a few of those sites to be retired. So I just want you to know that we are, uh, we've been reaching out to content owners and we will continue to reach out to content owners to schedule the sites that we know about um, and discuss whether or not everything needs to be migrated or content needs to be upgraded or the site needs to be retired. So our focus uh, for WordPress has really been, you know, trying to modernize the look and feel of our websites as well as ensuring ADA compliance and um, having best practices in place, refreshing the content um, and creating efficiencies where we can. And I'd just like to thank everybody that's been involved in this project. It's been very complex with a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving targets. <laughs> so I think I think we have um, a web presence that's very beautiful and stylish and we can all be proud of. Well, thanks, Angela. Anything uh, to, to add to that, Lisa? Um, just echoing Angela's comments that uh, it's been a heavy lift, but it's been well worth it. And um, I think it has helped to bring us uh, into a new era here. Um, one thing that uh, I would also mention is that we're releasing several new sites about every Thursday, I believe it is. So um, there is just constant work ongoing. And as you heard Angela say, there are 200 more sites that have yet to be launched. And that's, it's going to take a while, but um, it's well worth it. So but that's good. Really glad to see the the refreshed look, the uh, the I think much more elegant interface. Uh, and I've heard from several of our um, website content owners that they feel like it's really pretty easy now to maintain that content, whereas SharePoint uh, probably was was not so easy. Uh, have you all been getting any feedback uh, from our our web website owners? I think the, the same thing is that the ease of use and the ease of maintaining um, is a, it's a lot more intuitively obvious what to do. So, 
Good. So uh, for for the uh, 250 of you that don't yet have your new websites, they're coming and they're going to be great. Uh, I know that. And uh, the good news is I think it'll be much easier and, and much less time consuming to keep them up to date, relevant, put the new information in, new events, new activities, uh, and so forth. So I, I really think, uh, you know, again, in this day and time where people are not out roaming around to get information, they're they're online. That's where they're getting information from. So our presence and our appearance uh, online is is even more critical than ever. So uh, thanks a lot uh, to Angela Gibson, who, uh, if you haven't met her, is our chief information officer. Uh, and obviously, everyone knows uh, Lisa Stearns, our vice chancellor for marketing communications. Thanks to both of you, your teams, and and for uh, all the staff that have been working on. Uh, getting us uh, up and running with a, a refreshed new look uh, for our online uh, presence. Good. So any questions uh, that we've had today, Lisa? Uh, well, Tim, we've had one more related to the flu. So, <laughs> Doug, you might want to stand ready here. Um, the question is, will we have a day on campus where flu vaccines are available? You know, we actually talked about that uh, at our executive committee meeting, and uh, we we concluded it's probably much more efficient and much easier, by and large, for folks to use their own sources. And actually, somebody pointed out you could run over here to Publix and, and get a flu vaccine, and they'll give you a $10 gift card for coming by. So it might even be more profitable uh, to do it on your own. I think that uh, the University of Tennessee Knoxville may have one or two public uh, type uh, wide open events that anyone is welcome to. The, the challenge right now, of course, uh, in the middle of this pandemic is having a large group event uh, because even though we're talking about getting a vaccination that would require a lot of people to be close in close proximity. Uh, I do believe uh, the College of Veterinary Medicine may be planning to have uh, one of their uh, vaccination events or, or perhaps two. But uh, as we talked about expanding that to possibly serve the whole institute, the number of people that, that we uh, have to plan for and the size of the spaces that we have, plus the availability of staff uh, from the, the health student health center, uh, it really just didn't come together well, to be honest. And so we, we concluded our best option across the whole state is to go to your doctor, go to your county health department, go to your pharmacy, uh, or go to some community event locally uh, and get those flu shots where they've already made all the uh, arrangements and plans to do so uh, safely uh, and uh, with, uh, with all the, the proper protections in place. Sounds good. Well, it looks like we have no other questions. So, Tim, do you have any final final remarks? Well, of course, I always want to get the last word in, right? Uh, but my final remarks today probably are pretty similar to, to many of the last several weeks. You know, uh, it's clear to me uh, our our guidance is working well, and and everyone is following that guidance. So I, I don't want to repeat every bit of that, but I do want to thank everyone for. Uh, being willing to, to uh, take the steps necessary uh, to protect themselves, but also to serve as positive examples to others. And I think we're doing that across the state. So thank you very much. Uh, I continue to get positive feedback about your work in classrooms, labs, clinics, communities. 
the, the work you're doing continues to be recognized and appreciated. And we are making, uh, I think, very good progress. We're, we're clearly uh, not in the clear and not going to be anytime soon. But uh, we figured out how to, how to get our jobs done. And uh, we just need to continue doing those jobs, doing them well, uh, and uh, carrying on uh, as, as we have been. Uh, I want to put in uh, a couple of plugs here. One, Dr. Bob Hayes is retiring. I went out to his uh, uh, brief celebration event on uh, Wednesday of this week. Uh, it's it's uh, going to be different without Dr. Hayes uh, out at the West Tennessee Research Education Center. But as I mentioned uh, last week or the week before, Dr. Scott Stewart will step in there, and we know uh, he'll follow and, and do a great job uh, after uh, Bob's retirement. We also have uh, uh, another uh, faculty member retiring, Dr. Dwight Loveday uh, will be retiring soon. And, and for those of you that have an interest, there's actually uh, an online uh, retirement event for Dr. Loveday later on this afternoon. I believe that starts at three o'clock. So uh, if you uh, haven't got that information, uh, shoot us a note and we can get you a link for that. But everyone is welcome. And I know many of you know Dr. Loveday uh, he's uh, been a critical part of our food science programs, our 4-H programs. He's helped a lot with our animal science programs. So uh, just uh, a great uh, faculty member for many years. Jump in on his uh, Zoom celebration if you can. Uh, and with that, I think uh, we've about come to the end of another fireside chat. So I'm going to say thank you. Uh, thanks for all your work. Have a great weekend. But make plans now to join us for next week's Fireside Chat. Uh, I, I won't spill the beans yet, but we got a special guest I don't think you'll want to miss. So uh, plan to join us next Friday, and, and we'll have uh, a little different uh, uh, set of information for you in addition to our, the data that we normally share. And uh, in the meantime, I hope uh, everybody uh, plans to watch the game this weekend. We'll see uh, how our first uh, uh, football game goes against the University of Missouri Saturday night. So thank you uh, for leading us through once again, Lisa, and, and have a good weekend. Yes, and just a quick note that it, uh, Dr. Loveday's uh, Zoom meeting is next Friday, so. Oh, <laughs> I got the Friday. Make sure right. no one was on there and didn't see him, so. <laughs> yep. Sorry, Dr. Loveday, but uh, that's good. We all got another week to get ready, so we can all definitely participate in that. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend.